When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning, and welcome along to the Daily Digest from Football Digest with myself, Ned Keating, and joining me today is Charlie Gordon, as we look at the morning's back pages on this Thursday. Uh, Charlie, one story dominates it, uh, and unfortunately for us, it's golf, but we're, we're not here to talk about <laughs> golf and the Open Championship start, and today we are here to talk about football instead, and in terms of that, to be fair, across uh, across the Daily Star, across the Expression, across the Mirror this morning, there is again one large football story and it is Raheem Sterling completing his move to Chelsea from Manchester City. Uh, £47.5 million pounds is the fee, of course, it's going to be little add-ons in there and, and little other bits as well to, to kind of take it a little bit higher. Um, but even if they do kind of you know, get closer towards maybe £60 million, pounds, who knows, um, it's still a bargain, isn't it, for a player who is proven at the top level, even if he did have one year left on his on his contract and... and opportunities maybe didn't have his best year at City Chelsea seem to have got themselves a bit of a bargain here yeah I think it's a situation Ned where everyone's kind of happy with this deal I think if you're Manchester City you're looking at a player who he's now approaching his late 20s he's 27 years old one year left on his contract um you know to bank 50 million for a player who could go for free next year and who's kind of openly not too happy with the amount of game time that they're getting so you're looking at that and thinking uh, there's a decent chance he could have gone for free next year. City get fifty million for him. They probably chalked that down as good business. As for Chelsea, um, you know they're getting a player like you said, proven at Premier League level, not just at City under Pep Guardiola, but he's done it at Liverpool earlier on in his in his career too. So you'd have to say he's quite a safe bet. Uh, you wouldn't chalk him down as a flop. In, you know you wouldn't expect him uh, to flop in the same way that Romelu Lukaku did last season. Um, so yeah, I would say that it's a it's a city got a good price, and Chelsea will be happy with the business that they've done, and they've made a real statement by signing Sterling. I do find it interesting as well that yesterday Chelsea announced a deal for Sterling, and, and I think we kind of knew it was coming yesterday a long way off. And I'm not saying that they've done this on purpose, but I did find it interesting that it, the, the announcement came a couple of hours after Barcelona confirmed that Rafinha himself, a, a long-time Chelsea target, had had signed for them instead. And just on that point, John, I just wanted to, to get your thoughts as to whether or not you felt whether or not Raheem Sterling is going to be the better fit for Chelsea, as it were, or, or could Rafinha have, have slotted into Thomas Tuchel's sides a bit more easily? Which, which of the two players, if you were Thomas Tuchel, would you have rather had? The thing is, I think Rafinha has that element of unpredictability that Sterling doesn't have. I think, you know, he's he's more predictable, Sterling, but he's still difficult to deal with. Rafinha, you don't know what he's going to do from one uh, play to the next. But the thing is, I'm pretty sure uh, Chelsea aren't going to rest just with Sterling. From my understanding, it wasn't an either-or situation. Chelsea have bought Sterling, and now they're, you know, Rafinha looks dead in the water. He's on his way to Barcelona by the looks of it. But they're moving on to other targets now, Chelsea. Uh, Serge Gnabry's in the equation from Bayern Munich. 
Uh, Rafael Liao from AC Milan also in the equation. Uh, neither of those two deals are particularly advanced uh, at this stage, but you know Chelsea aren't going to rest just with Sterling. It looks like Tuchel and Todd Bowley want a complete overhaul of their uh, you know attacking ranks this summer. So they've been let down a bit with the Rafinha situation, but uh, it looks like they're they're not going to stop until they get another winger in. <laughs> Of course, you mentioned there about attack, but even at the other end of the pitch as well for Chelsea, um, there looks to be a big overhaul in terms of their defensive uh, look for next season. Obviously, of course, losing Antonio Rudiger and Andreas Christensen, another one to Barcelona. They'll probably hate Barcelona by the end of this year. <laughs> they probably hate them already, actually, thinking back to 2009 and the Champions League and Didier Drogba, but that's the story for another day. Um, but in terms of Chelsea and their plan of action for this transfer window going forward, you said they're about other wingers, but it looks like defence is going to be the next area that that perhaps they do get someone in the door through. Um, Kaladu Kalibali coming in from Napoli, that looks pretty much signed, still delivered. Nathan Aki, there is, it looks like it's edging towards it. There is suggestions that maybe the fee could be a sticking point between Chelsea and Manchester City. Um, but which of those two areas do you think is more important for them to strengthen next first? Is it defence and, and likely, obviously, with Kalibali being probably the next one to join them? Or, or is it a case now that they've got Sterling they can kind of put the attack on the back burner a little bit? Yeah, you'd think defence definitely takes priority now uh, and it looks like they're making good progress. Uh, you can forgive Chelsea fans probably for feeling a little bit stressed uh, over the course of the summer so far because they let go of Rudiger, let go of Christensen, both left for free at the end of June and both, you know, had, well, Rudiger was their star defender pretty much and Christensen had an important squad role to play as well. Um so, yeah, the pressure was definitely on for Chelsea to start bringing defenders in. And there wasn't a lot of activity going on. But like you said, Koulibaly now on the verge of being confirmed. It's like it's all happening all at once because um, they're in talks to sign Ake. Personal terms agreed there. Uh, there's some talk that City and Chelsea are not far apart on a fee as well. So that one looks fairly close. And they're also in talks with Presnel Kimpembe as well. Two left-footed centre-backs there. You'd imagine, you know, they'll be fighting it out to appear on the left side of the back three. Um, so it's a bit of a strange one, really, for Chelsea fans. Nothing's happened. Stress growing, tension growing. All of a sudden, they could be welcoming three really high-caliber defenders. Um, but the one thing, the one downside that I'm seeing among ch some Chelsea fans is it will probably spell the end of Levi Colwell's uh, spell at the club. Uh, and there's a lot of Premier League interest in him as well. With this idea that Chelsea are going to be bringing in so many players this summer, again, you know, as you said, there looks like three defenders coming along, like London buses. Sorry, I had to get that one. <laughs> um, but the defence looking like several players coming in there, the attack as well. And they're doing this with pre-season already underway. The only issue that I can see there is, of course, it's about bedding them in and getting them used to one another. And, and in an ideal world, if you are going to have a busy summer, you want to do it almost at the start. Yes, it's good that Chelsea are finally uh, wearing into life in this transfer window, but you do worry when we do get to the start of the Premier League season whether or not things will be clicking as much as they perhaps want them to. Yeah, it's definitely a period of transformation at Chelsea. Uh, you know, also the ownership transition, Abramovich out, Bowley in now. Um, and not just with the new signings that they've brought in, there's a lot of returning loanees who are really going to be pushing for the first team. Levi Colwell, who I just mentioned, would have been one of them. He looks like he could go now. A lot of speculation around Armando Brogia, uh, the striker as well. Uh, the same with Conor Gallagher. He's expected to be pushing for minutes. So those three will kind of be, it's a cliche, but they'll be like new signings as well. Um, so there's a lot of new, there's a lot of change for Thomas Tuchel to deal with. That's why, you know, I would understand some people being a little bit apprehensive about Chelsea's chances of 
maybe closing the gap on Liverpool and Man City this season. Um, but you never know, it could all click instantly uh, and then they're in business. Returning to Sterling now himself and, and in terms of what he brings to the squad as well, obviously we know that he's attacking talents, but the mentality that he's going to bring to this team as well. Uh, a serial winner with Manchester City, uh, trophy cabinet's probably larger than many Premier League clubs and unfortunately as a Tottenham fan, that includes ourselves. Um, but what he brings is going to be that winning mentality, is it? You look at this Chelsea squad at the minute and in terms of the players that they've got, probably aside from maybe Thiago Silva, there's one or two others that have won other trophies in there as well. But the majority of the squad, the only trophy that they've got in the cabinet is one, and it's the Champions League. To have someone like Sterling, who obviously hasn't won a Champions League yet with Man City, we know that that was the one that they were kind of holding out for. Um, but in terms of he knows when it gets to May and what it takes to get over the line in a Premier League season in cup finals. You know, he won so many under Pep Guardiola. He's going to bring that added nous and experience to this squad as well. Yeah, definitely. And it's not just about him, uh, you know, having plenty of trophies in the cabinet. Sterling's been under big pressure since he was a teenager. You know, he's had big, big things expected of him uh, since he was a youngster with Liverpool. Uh, and he's always risen to the challenge, really. And at, at this stage of his career, he's he's kind of got something to prove as well, because Obviously, City weren't prepared to guarantee him that he'll be a nailed-on starter every single week. Um, so he's really going to Chelsea now, trying to show what he can do if he's the main man, you know, maybe the cornerstone of their front three. Uh, so, you know, Sterling, he's not afraid of pressure and he's stood up to it before and he's performed well. Uh, and this is a situation where he's got a point to prove. So it should be interesting to see how it pans out. And uh, Charlie, just on Manchester City and, and their transfer window so far, obviously they've brought in Julian Alvarez, Erlen Haaland, um, but they've still got to adapt to the Premier League and adapt to a new team as well. And there's been all this talk about, from managers at least, about how this season's going to be weird. You know, we've had other people on this show previously talk about how it's the, the running is almost from August 5th uh, when the Premier League gets underway, you know, that there is no idea of a running that the, the, the season's going to be so brutal and so compact because of the World Cup in the middle of it that there is going to be no let up and so that squad depth needs to be that little bit more stronger this year and on that point is it a surprise to you that Manchester City were happy to allow both Gabriel Jesus and Raheem Sterling to leave in the same window obviously they still have a lot of attacking talent we're talking Jack Grealish we're talking Phil Foden Riyad Mahrez Bernardo Silva can play there obviously Julian Alvarez and Erling Haaland through the middle maybe Alvarez off the wing as well I'm not saying that they haven't got the options there to cover it but you do kind of wonder whether or not come the kind of latter third of the season whether or not City might start to rue not having someone like Jesus and, and definitely Sterling and both of them actually quite versatile players too in their ranks yeah this is where City's transfer policy is really going to come under scrutiny because they tend not to stand in a player's way if they get the right price for them that's happened for Gabriel Jesus and Sterling this summer they got a good price for both of them with one year left on their contracts uh, they weren't getting they weren't, you know, nailed on guaranteed starters at the Etihad. So it felt kind of like the right thing to do to let them go. Like you said, it's a bit of a risk because it's two in, two out. Uh, Sterling Jesus gone, Alvarez Haaland in, never played Premier League football before. So it, a lot of it depends on uh, how quickly they bed in and things like that. Um, but another thing I think to consider from the City perspective is they've got a good young player uh, who can feature on the wing in Cole Palmer. He's expected to step up um, for the season ahead, you know, take on more responsibility, probably play more games. Uh, even though their numbers haven't suffered City two in, two out, like I just said, you know, someone that knows the club has played in the Premier League before. I'm sure that will help them 
um, you know, and he, he could be a surprise package because he does look a really terrific player. Switching now from the blue half of Manchester to the red, uh, the other story that's been on the back pages this morning is uh, Manchester United and their pursuit of Lissandro Martinez. Uh, obviously, someone that Eric Ten Hag knows very well, Charlie, from his uh, days at Ajax, having coached him there. But is defence an area that Man United should be looking at strengthening? They've already brought in Tyrrell Manassi. It looks like Martinez is going to be the next one through the door. Is that the area that is of most concern to Man United ahead of the new season? Yeah, based on last season's performances, you would have to say yes. You know, there were some really wayward defensive displays last season uh, and they, they ended up conceding more goals than Burnley, who got relegated. So you definitely, if, you, if you're 10 hard, it's like a tapping, you know, you know exactly what you should be focusing on when you, when you get into the job. Uh, strengthening in defence, it does present him with something of an awkward situation, though, in my opinion. Uh, Lissandro Martinez probably going to be brought in as a centre-back. Um, so you're thinking then he's probably going to partner Varane at the back. Where does that leave Harry Maguire? I'm sure that's a question that is on uh, everyone's minds. Ten Hag has come out in the last few days and backed him to remain as captain, even though there's a lot of people suggesting that the, the armband should, should change hands. Um, so I think they do need to strengthen in defence. But And even though bringing in a player like Martinez is something that's going to benefit Ten Hag and United, it does pose uh, some significant questions with the Maguire situation uh, and how Ten Hag is going to select his team uh, throughout the season. In terms of Martinez and obviously having worked with Ten Hag as well in the position that he's going to play, we expect him to be centre-half. Normally you speak about that being kind of part of the spine of the team going through the middle of it. So is this a sign then that Ten Hag is looking for players that he can trust in that kind of middle in the, in that important part of the pitch that that equally he knows that we'll put in performances week in week out, but also the start of play that he's looking to try to bring to Manchester United as well. Yeah, there's a really there's a common theme running through Ten Hag's transfer business this summer, and it's not difficult to spot. You know, he's he's going for Ajax players, players that used to play for Ajax or you know emerging talents in Dutch football. He's go. It's clear that the United board are putting a lot of trust in him to go after players that he's familiar with. Uh, players that, like you say, they're familiar with his style of play uh, and things like that. The only thing, I'd, you know, for that reason, Martinez should be a good fit. Uh, he's a versatile player, can play left back, can play midfield as well. Uh, and there's a lot of modern managers who favour that kind of versatility these days. The only thing that's, you know, a little asterisk next to the deal is that, you know, United looked like they were chasing Urien Timber first, uh, fellow Ajax defender, highly rated youngster. He decided to stay in the Netherlands instead. So it, it is a bit like Martinez is perhaps the second choice out of Timber and Martinez, but it's clear that United were desperate to get him. Uh, they put in several bids, long negotiations with Ajax, and uh, you know it finally looks like they're on the verge of getting it over the line now. You see, uh, the, the next point is an interesting one. I, I heard it when listening to uh, our sister podcast, uh, Manchester is Red, earlier this week uh, from the MEN. And uh, on there, Samuel Luckhurst, who covers uh, Man United for the MEN, uh, was talking about Martinez and his height. Um, and it's not something that, as a Spurs fan, I've looked into much, if I'm being honest with you. But I did have a check of it just after that. Uh, and he's five foot nine. Now, I'm not being funny, but... <laughs> That, that should raise all kind of question marks about a centre-half. Like, I know, obviously, Fabio Cannavaro used to have a stepladder when he jumped in the air. You know, he was so good at jumping and he was great aerially. 
but that should have alarm bells ringing for, for me at least as, a, as an uncultured swine he doesn't know too much about Martinez <laughs> but especially coming into the Premier League it's not as aerial as it was previously I'll, I'll admit that and yes it's a, a lot to do with your positioning as well but I, I, we all know how susceptible Man United were to crosses into the box last year and 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 their kind of inability to, to kind of take command of that area and I just wonder whether or not this is maybe the wrong calibre profile of player that they're looking at in terms of uh, of a defender but I'm sure you're probably about to set me right and tell me I'm completely <laughs> wrong well no I think you're right to an extent like it becomes uh, important probably for Martinez to get a few confidence building games under his belt you know if he plays his first three or four matches for United and he's getting exploited physically by Premier League strikers it's you know it could have like a downhill effect from there because strikers will just keep targeting him because he's, like you say, he's five foot nine. He's not got the physicality uh, of some of the other, maybe like a standard size Premier League defender. Um, one thing going for him is, you know, if he's partnered with Maguire or Varane, they're both very tall, both really good in the air. Um, but obviously, you know, if a striker is targeting Martinez, then that's that's a different matter. But even... Even though he is so short, like there are exceptions to the rule. We've got Cresswell at West Ham, five foot seven. Didn't realise he was that short, but he he plays in a back three. Same with Azpilicueta, really accomplished centre-back, five foot ten. And it is kind of about how you use that height because Thiago Silva's actually under six foot as well. Uh, and you wouldn't really guess that from the way he plays. Really puts himself about physical. Like You never see him get taken advantage of and he's only five foot eleven, so... Uh, uh, Ten Hag clearly believes in Martinez. He believes he's a good fit. Um, but yeah, the one thing I would say is confidence building streak uh, is important early doors, given his height. Uh, and of course, not to not to forget as well, maybe wasn't in the Premier League, but another Argentinian who played defence midfield, Javier Mascherano, wasn't, wasn't exactly the mm. tallest man in the world either. Um, just a final point, though, Charlie, before we go on Manchester United. Malassia has already come in. Martinez looks to be on his way is now the next target for Eric Ten Hag to get rid of a bit of the deadwood. Obviously, there was a few players that left already because their contracts run out. Jesse Lingard, Juan Mata, Paul Pogba. Um, but in terms of those that are still at the club and under contracts, we're looking at Phil Jones, Eric Bailly, Axel Tuanzebi. And it looks like perhaps if this deal gets completed for Martinez, then they'll be the ones heading out the exit door at Old Trafford. Yeah, I think I don't think it's a case of United are only now moving on to clearing out the deadwood. I think they've probably been open to offers throughout the whole summer, players like Phil Jones and Eric Bailly. But there's there's obvious stumbling blocks with both players because they're both on big money. Phil Jones, from what I uh, saw recently, is still on about £100,000 a week. He signed a long-term contract, uh, obviously, that's still going on. And given that both Bailly and Jones have barely played any football in the last few seasons, uh, they'd, they'd just be a massive gamble for any, a massive financial gamble for any club to take. So it's kind of understandable why no teams are really knocking on their door too much to look at signing those pair. Axel Twanzebe, his stock has fallen a little bit last season. He went on two loans to Aston Villa uh, and then Napoli. Didn't really succeed in either of them, but I agree with you. It's definitely going to be on Ten Hag's priority list between now and the end of the summer. Is shifting some of those players, uh, you know, getting them off the wage bill. And it could be a case as the deadline, you know, draws closer, United might have to find compromises, things like subsidising wages, accepting lower transfer fees and things like that. 
Charlie, thanks so much for joining us uh, this morning. We'll leave it there for now, but appreciate your time as always. Of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest from the transfer window across the Mirror, across the Star and across the Express, as well as all of Reach's regional titles. But for now, it's goodbye.